Hello, hello, and welcome to my new podcast. It doesn't have an official name, but I think I'm going to call it the Progressive Hub Podcast because I think that's what I want this podcast to be all about is progressive values and empathy for all. And so we have a bunch of uh, topics lined up for today. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Joe Biden State of the Union Address that occurred yesterday as of the making of this video, the U.S. trade deficit reaching a record high. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that. The uh, I, I read an article about uh, Guantanamo Bay and um, the fact that they're, they're starting to allow prisoner art to um, be released publicly. It uh, was previously considered to be the property of the uh of the u.s government and the pentagon has recently removed that and we're also going to talk about ron DeSantis and his uh ongoing culture war in florida that's gonna be an interesting topic so i want to start with the state of the union address i listened to it last night and i thought that the speech was pretty good i thought it was pretty good and i believe that uh, Joe Biden did a good job bragging about the um, his accomplishments so far as president, and he, and, he, and he has a couple. I mean, you know, some people may disagree, but I think I think Joe Biden gets a bad rep uh, when it comes to the Inflation Reduction Act, the Chips Act, his infrastructure spending, his uh, COVID relief. I I think that, and you know, he he obviously has flaws. I mean, the Afghanistan pullout was definitely a, um, a a stain on his presidency but I don't think I don't think anyone really would have done that well because it, it, it I mean it's a difficult situation he inherited a bad situation the Afghanistan war itself was a mistake and so uh, there's there's not a lot of good things you can do there's not a lot of good ways to get out of a war that was started off of a false premise you know I mean we've, we've been there for 20 years. We've been there for 20 years, and I mean, when when was the correct time to pull out? It it would I don't think it would have made a difference if it was uh, tomorrow or next year or like spending another 20 years there. So I think that Joe Biden, you know, did the best he could have done to get out of Afghanistan. But anyway, uh, yeah, Joe Biden did a good job of bragging about his accomplishments, uh, the jobs that he's brought back um, from the previous administration and from from uh, the pandemic, the CHIPS Act, which is going to bring back uh, ch semiconductor chip manufacturing in the U.S., which is a huge win. And it's going to tie into the U.S. trade deficit, which I'm going to talk about later. Um, the fact that the U.S. went from exporting or, or we're making around 60% of the world's semiconductor chips and going all the way down to 10% um, is, is a tragedy. And we, in, we need, we rely on semiconductor chips. I mean, it, it's, it's the backbone of a lot of the technology that we use in our day-to-day -day lives. And so uh, the fact that Joe Biden is now allowing us to manufacture such an essential product in our within our own borders and then ex exporting it um, 
to other countries, just so that we're not relying on China for such an essential good is really important. And I'm really glad that the CHIPS Act was passed bipartisanly too. And some of the other things Biden has done, the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, allowing Medicare to negotiate some drug prices. It's not perfect, but it's a win. It's, it's you know, it, it, it's better than nothing. And the fact that he got insulin um, being able to be negotiated is a huge win too. Insulin, to produce insulin is maybe $10, $13 a vial in total. And Big Pharma charges hundreds of dollars for it. And that is, that is preying on the most vulnerable people in our society, literally people with diabetes. And, you know, that's just one of the most, the most humane and disgusting, inhumane and disgusting things that our, our country tolerates. And it, ju- it just goes to show, you know, I mean, not everything can be privatized. Not everything can be at the behest of the market, you know, because we, we see with big pharma, we see with utilities, we see with college, it doesn't work. And some things are just better in the hands of the government. We are the only country, we're the only developed nation in the world that does not have a universal healthcare system. We have people who get bankrupt because of medical debt. That is not a thing. That doesn't happen in other countries. And we allow people, we allow people to die because they could not afford the treatment that they needed, which is insane. And all for all to get, you know, what is it? A couple thousand more dollars uh, to these big CEOs and, and, and big pharma out of the billions of dollars that they make per year. Uh, that's, that's a trade-off we're gonna make. Like people dying and going bankrupt so that one, you know, corporation can make tons and tons of money. And I, I, I think that's disgusting. And so, and it's not even big pharma, it's uh, college. Um, you know, we need to have tuition-free public college so that people can make the choice, um, make a true choice, you know, if they want to go to college or not. Because there, there's a lot of smart people who, you know, are anxious. They don't, they don't want to get themselves in a ridiculous amount of student debt. And I mean, I believe that the only factor in whether or not someone goes to college is their academics. And it goes, it goes, it goes a lot farther too than um, just you know the price of college too. We also need to, we also need to make our make our public schools uh, more equal. Our public schools right now, there's there's a lot of places and a lot of poor neighborhoods where the, our schools are underfunded. And people don't have equality of opportunity. That's that's one of the core tenets of my beliefs: is equality of opportunity. You, your zip code, okay, should not define you as a person. The rich kid living in Beverly Hills should have just the exact same opportunity as a the same kid living in the South Side of Chicago. And that's that's one of the most important things that a country should have. We don't have that, you know? We have schools paid by, paid for by property taxes. If you're wealthier, you're gonna get, you're gonna, you're gonna be better off uh, at the start. And I, I think that's wrong. But going back to uh, Joe Biden, 
in his State of the Union speech. I, I think I think he did a good job. And my favorite part about it was when he was talking about Social Security and Medicare being off the books. And he, he called out Republicans. He said, there are Republicans who are proposing that we cut Social Security and Medicaid in order to pay for our debt. And, you know, that would, that would, that's austerity. That would be, that would be egregious. That would be, you know, millions of seniors, uh, not only getting their healthcare taken away, but their payments that they, that they require for their retirement, you know? So, I mean, I mean, that would upend the lives of so many people. And, you know, and, and Republicans know that both Republicans and Democrats know that because Republicans on the other side through a fit, you know, heckling Joe Biden during a state of the union speech, calling him a liar. And I think, I think Joe Biden called them out perfectly and, you know, got basically got a referendum on social security and Medicaid being off the table. So I think that was a great job by him. And I think, I think it shows because if you look at the election betting odds here, uh, Joe Biden has, has gotten a boost. You know, he, he's been increasing in the betting odds for the presidency for 2024 against uh, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, who I'm going to talk about later. But if I can just pull up the odds for last week, Joe Biden, ever since, you know, ever, ever since his speech uh, around February 7th, around 9 p.m., he, he's been going up. He got a got a couple point boost against Ron DeSantis, and DeSantis got a bit of a uh, you know a drop, a significant drop here. And you know that's good. That's good. I mean, we don't want, or I don't want Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis having a shot at the presidency. And I I I I think they're gonna be really bad for the country. And so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that um, I'm glad that Joe Biden uh, made this speech. And so moving on, I want to talk about the, the U.S. trade deficit. So let's look at here. So U.S. trade deficit hit record in 2022 to basically a, almost a trillion dollars. I mean, $948.1 billion as the global demand of products starts to weaken. And so... What does this mean for the U.S.? Well, it means that we're essentially buying more than we are selling to other countries on the, on the international market, which, I mean, it's a bad thing, you know? We, it, and it impacts our GDP. We don't want, we want our GDP to be high and we want, we want, our, we want our country to be bringing in revenue. We don't want to be buying more than we, than we sell on the market. And so that's the big thing about the CHIPS Act, you know? Bringing in industry and um, and being able to get these jobs back into the country within reason, of course. I mean, we don't want like we don't want a ridiculous amount of um, amount of industry back to the U.S. Because I mean, outsourcing outsourcing has its benefits. I mean, we can we can talk about, um, for example, a perfect example: phones, iPhones. When Apple opens up uh, factories in China. You know, that, that's a win-win for both countries because we get better prices, you know. If if iPhones were made in the USA, they'd cost $5,000 a phone, and that'd be ridiculous. But And it's also a win for China because China gets jobs, you know. I mean, the unfortunate truth about China is despite its 
despite its uh, relatively high GDP, its GDP per capita is actually uh, pretty low. It's not a very like incredibly wealthy country for the individual. And so, you know, a lot of people still work in sweatshops in China for, you know, what I don't even know, like a dollar, two dollars a day. And so, I mean, it, it, it's really unfortunate, but when U.S. companies go and they export these jobs over to China, I mean, it, it's actually like, it, it's actually somewhat of an opportunity for, um, for the people there. It's, it's, it's a lesser evil compared to having no job. So it, it helps both sides, but then you have the flip side of that, which is the U.S. doesn't have jobs such as those. And then we end up like in a situation where th- like this, where we are buying way, way, way more than we export. And so that's a, that's a bad thing. And so, I mean, let's look at, let's look at this chart right here, U.S. monthly trade in goods and services. So you see around the start of the pandemic, everything pretty much collapsed. Like we see a total drop in imports and exports, but then it starts to pick up. And so we see in the past few months, exports have started to decrease. But in imports, you know, they're, they're, they're still far, far ahead of, ahead of exports. And I mean, Joe Biden, Joe Biden with the CHIPS Act did something to improve that, but it's not enough. I mean, we, we need to start bringing some of these jobs back so that, you know, we don't, we, we can bring that up and we can start to maybe reduce our deficit too. I mean, our deficit is ridiculous. If you go to the debt clock, you know, we're, we're, we're past, we're actually past the debt ceiling right now. And our GDP to, to our debt to GDP ratio is 120%. And so what does that mean? So we issue, we, we, we've issued so many bonds to the point where our, our debt, what the U.S. owes to investors is uh, way too high. It is higher than the, than the current debt ceiling. And so the debt ceiling needs to be raised in order for the U.S. to be able to continue to pay off these debts um, to its investors. And so in order to pay for all these uh, goods or all these services that the government offers. And so, um, yeah, I mean, if, if this were to happen, the U.S. were to start to not pay its debts, um, we'd start to see Social Security, Medicare, uh, basically default because uh, Social Security and Medicare hold a lot of these bonds. And so the government uses that to fund Social Security because we don't get enough in federal tax revenue for our budget. That's why that's why we take in a deficit. And so that is part of the reason why we can't have a deficit like this, you know? So, and Republicans are basically holding, they're, they're gonna try to hold our country hostage because, you know, they're gonna try to get spending cuts as opposed to, you know, raising the debt ceiling. They, they're gonna wanna get concessions that basically say, hey, you know, cut spending or, you know, do this and that. And then we'll, we'll you know, agree to raise the debt ceiling, you know, that, and, and that can have some repercussions, you know? I mean, they've said they don't want to 
cut Social Security and Medicare, but, you know, they're still going to try to get, you know, some leverage from Joe Biden and the Democrats on, on spending. So, yeah, so we're going to move on. Pentagon lifts Trump-era ban on release of Guantanamo prisoner to art. So this 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 caught my attention. I thought it was kind of interesting. The uh, Trump administration called detainee art U.S. government property and halted most releases. And the lawyers never mounted an intellectual property case. So this is interesting. So there are a lot of uh, Guantanamo Bay prisoner detainees who, you know, like they're basically in hell. I mean, Guantanamo Bay is a is a torture camp, and we don't even know. We don't even know who is guilty or who's isn't who's innocent. I mean, these people, Guantanamo Bay was purposely set up so that these people would not get due process and of the right to a fair trial. And some people might say, well, you know, I mean, these people are ter- are terrorists from other uh, places. I mean, the question becomes, do they really deserve a fair trial and due process? And the obvious answer to that is yes, because the only way you would even know that they're guilty is through said processes. I mean, we can we can talk about the emotional impacts of you know what these people are alleged have allegedly done, but at the end of the day, I mean, like you you can't really know for certain what a person has done or if if they have if they have really done the crime they are being accused of without a fair trial and in due process. And I mean I mean that's borne out. I mean we've We've arrested and put in the Guantanamo Bay, you know, German citizens. We had to we had to bring back a German citizen because we had accidentally arrested them and taken them to Guantanamo Bay, which is, I mean, that's insane, you know. And it also goes to show too, Joe Biden, um, if I can find it, he um, he he. Yeah, look, Biden administration has been reviving efforts to transfer cleared detainees with security arrangements, and has so far we repatriated or freed six men and so we have people in here in guantanamo bay who are who are innocent and they're being they're being sent they're being sent out and the trump administration comparatively only had released one man and so i think i think we have two options we can either completely shut down guantanamo bay and forget about it stop using it and or we can give all these people a fair trial and due process, and we can see who has committed, you know, acts against the U.S. government and the people of the U.S. and who hasn't. And so, I mean, that's the only that's the only way to, you know, really really hone in on these issues. All right. So, so I also want to talk about this is the stuff that gets on my nerves. So, Ron DeSantis and his and his his culture war nonsense, essentially. So, the New York Times says education issues vault to top of the GOP's presidential race. So Donald Trump and possible rivals like Governor Ron DeSantis are making appeals to conservative voters on race and gender issues, but such messages had a mixed record in November's midterm election. So essentially Ron DeSantis is running a culture war um, with pretty much, you know, my new, you know, non-issues, you know, I mean, this guy's the king of CRT and I mean, you know, these uh, public schools are keep, are teaching your young children to be woke and gay and stuff. And it, it, it's all it's all nonsense. It's all like, you know, made up, made up fear mongering in order to and the, for the ultimate goal of, you know, trying to trying to um, ban gay marriage and, you know, uh, repressing LGBTQ people and transgender people. You know, that that's the ultimate goal is to, you know, rid 
rid the U.S. of you know these people, and it's it, it's sad. It's, it's it's heartbreaking, and you know to have a man and a whole political block even just full of hate and empathy and, and just just no empathy at all for anybody, and it's ridiculous. I mean, this person is a fascist, and you know I will not I I can't apologize for calling this person a fascist because that's just who he is, you know. With the don't say gay bill, you can't teach, you know, a law, like a law so vague where it's like, what if a, what if there's a teacher who is gay and mentions, you know, if, if it's a female teacher, something about their wife or something. And, you know, they, it, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole big deal if that happens, you know, and the, and, and law stating that if a child comes out as gay or, you know, has feelings of gender dysphoria at school that they have to be um, reported, that has to be reported to the parents. And, you know, regard, regardless of whether the parents are, you know, having have some bigoted views on LGBTQ kids, I mean, put, potentially, potentially putting these children in abusive situations by law, I mean, that is, it, it's just like no, nothing short of disgusting. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to believe that these people have, um, a platform uh, to, to spread such hate and it, it's just terrible and if you if you go on if you go on here there you know him and other Republicans are starting to um, run on the issue of parent parental rights you know the idea that parents should have a say in what their what their kids are learning you know I mean and it and, and that's just made up you know that's just that's just a completely made up issue that the Republicans are trying to use to justify um, all these bigoted laws against uh, gay and trans children and just people in general. And so, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you really think about it, parent, parents' rights to like dictate what their children are teaching, I mean, that's kind of like, that kind of defeats the whole point of public education. I mean, it should, it should be up to the actual educators to come up with a curriculum that will best uh, prepare children for the future to give them the best idea of the world around them. And so, I mean, that's not up to the parents, you know, the parents, these parents aren't like scholars. They, they aren't, they aren't educators, you know, I mean, some of them are obviously, but you know, I don't want, I don't want Karen who went to a school board meeting to, you know, have the power to like ban certain history subjects because she says, oh, it hate it. It's anti-American. Well, you know, some some history is anti-American. I mean, there's there's flaws in every in the history of every country on Earth. You know, that's the that's going to be inherent to any nation state. You know, I mean, you need to you need to talk about those flaws in history and learn learn from them. That's the whole point of why why do these people think we learn history? We don't want to we don't want to repeat the mistakes of the past. You know, if if nobody had learned about the Holocaust, for example, I mean. You know, we wouldn't. No one would have a precedent to never do it again, and so, or or to or to even be against it. That's why. I mean, that's why we have our our the beliefs that we have. You know, on certain extreme forms of bigotry, it's because we've learned about it, we've seen it, and you know, us as a society do not want to repeat those mistakes. And so, I don't see why that can't be applied to American history. You know, we have. I mean, we have terrible things we've done. The Trail of Tears, uh, slavery, Jim Crow, um, Japanese internment, uh, the, Viet the Vietnam War. I mean, we should we should know these things so that we live in a society where those 
mistakes are much less likely to be repeated. And so, I mean, they'd rather they'd rather trade that off for, you know, children not feeling guilty or, or disliking America. I mean, I mean, maybe maybe there is reason to dislike America from the past. I mean, America, America in the 1950s was racist and bigoted. Why would you why would you have any reason to like that relative to our moral standards now? And so that that's the big issue. And the biggest things that a lot of old people don't understand is um, that like nostalgia, they're, they have feelings of nostalgia for the past. I mean, we didn't, you know, it, it's become more of a hot topic recently to, you know, see, to, you know, kind of mask, put the mask off of American exceptional, exceptionalism, if that makes any sense. You know, starting to question the um, history of America. Because we, kids grow up today in this country um, believing the made-up stories of Christopher Columbus, for example, before uh, before they get to high school and they realize, hey, maybe this guy is not such a great guy. I mean, maybe the guy who, you know, gave Native Americans blankets with smallpox in them was, wasn't the best guy, you know? But they kids, grow, kids still grow up, you know, being fed that propaganda in elementary school. They they grow up, you know, like Christopher Columbus sailing, sailing the ocean blue in 1492 and you know, <laughs> and uh, discovering America. That's that's what these kids are brought up with. And while I'm on the topic, I mean, um, do you guys remember like the patriotic songs that they used to teach us? Like, you know, this land is your land, this land is my land. Just, for, just as an example, I mean, that's the, and the national anthem or the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. Perfect example. I mean, we grew up saying that every single day the the pledge of allegiance i mean that's if you really think about it that's weird you know it's almost it's almost like we're in a cult of american exceptionalism that that's unacceptable and to be fair like there is legal precedent precedent that has been set that you know you you are not obligated to um to cite the the, uh, the pledge but i mean do we did we really know that i mean they they pretty much imply that we had to as kids you know that we had this this to say the pledge every every day at school, and so I mean that that's a huge issue, especially especially for people that I mean don't really feel represented by America. You know, it's a lot of non-white, you know, gay uh, people who identify with the opposite gender that they were assigned at birth. You know, that I mean maybe maybe they don't feel welcome in America. Maybe they don't feel like they're part of the broader group of, of citizens, you know? So to um, make them speak this pledge that, you know, America is, you know, like implying that America is this great nation, you know, that is protected by God, you know, is, you know, it, it it's, it's not great for everybody, you know? I mean, especially, especially, you know, if you've ever seen pictures of Japanese Americans in the 1920s, like ch- Japanese American children, um, sang the national anthem at the same time that, you know, their families and their their fellow people were being put in internment camps during World War II because of the fear and bigotry of the white population. They thought that all Japanese Americans were inherently spies for Imperial Japan, which is just just ignorant and wrong. And so, yeah, like that is that that's where this that's where this type of stuff comes from. Um, when it, whether it be DeSantis or Donald Trump fear-mongering about minority groups is, you know, they reinforce these in-group, out, out-group mentalities and they use that to gain power. They, 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 they gain power through fear, 
if, if they can convince the white population that they're, you know, being threatened, people are out to get them. You know, that that's what that's what's bolstered the far right in recent times. You know, that's why we have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boeber, who are, are are pretty much just allowed to go on a national stage and say ridiculous things. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about Jewish space lasers and, you know, Lauren Boeber and all these knuckleheads uh, saying invade Mexico, you know, all this ridiculous stuff. And I mean, the good news is that voters don't buy it. You know, I mean, they have all this rhetoric and stuff that inflames the Republican base and is pushing them farther to the right. But you know, I mean, the good news is, is that it, it didn't work. It didn't work in 2022. You know, all the Trump endorsed candidates uh, lost, whether it be Dr. Oz or Herschel Walker or um, Blake Masters in Arizona, Carrie Lake in Arizona. You know, all these all these ridiculous people who uh, denied the election in 2020 and, you know, just just made a mockery of themselves and just put themselves in a whole different reality, whether it be QAnon, you know. Uh, QAnon, which, you know, was a big part in leading up to the January 6th riot that, you know, I mean, if, if that was any worse, I mean, we, we might have seen, you know, politicians like die, you know, their lives were already threatened. If, if, if you know, if that got any more out of hand, we'd, you know, we'd probably never recover or I mean, there's already permanent damage on our republic, but I mean, it could have been a lot worse, you know, and it, it's, it's just terrible. I yeah and so hopefully i mean hopefully you know voters start to really see what uh ron DeSantis and trump's deal is you know i hopefully americans start to see you know hey this guy is like a lunatic you know he is his his real agenda is the oppression of uh transgender kids and um what's it called like transgender kids and gay kids you know gay people in general and so yeah i mean there's all, yeah, there's also, you know, uh, one of the big rhetoric points that Ron Sanchez uses is grooming, you know? The, the idea the idea that children are being groomed, you know, into like, being gay or transgender so-and-so by um, Democrats or whoever it may be, which is, I mean, it, it's just ridiculous nonsense. I mean, and it, and, it, and it totally ignores the fact that we already live in a heteronormative society, meaning that you already live in a society where, you know, you're assumed to be straight until you claim, you state that you aren't. And, you know, that's, that's, you know, if that affects a lot of people, I mean, you know, it, it, it sets up, it sets up a stigma. It, it, it makes, it makes it so that if, if you're gay, people may perceive you as, you know, weird. And, and that's a, that's a horrible, horrible thing to believe. And it, and it makes it harder to come out, you know, if, if you have a parent who isn't, you know, isn't accepting, I mean, that's that's pretty much the nightmare scenario for a lot of people. There, are, I mean, there are people who have been kicked out of their homes, you know, for being transgender. I could I could even look it up. But yeah, so around 28% of LGBTQ youth report experiencing homelessness or housing instability at some point in their lives, which you know, I mean, is crazy. I mean, we only have what 500,000, 600,000 homeless people in the U.S., so that would be, you know maybe half a percentage point of the, like less than half a percentage point of the total population who is really homeless. And now you have, you know, 28% of LGBTQ plus youth reporting or reporting experiencing homelessness or housing instability at some point in their lives, you know? And, and, it, and it's exaggerated by the fact that those who did 
experienced homelessness had two to four times the odds of reporting depression or anxiety or self-harm. You know, considering suicide and attempting suicide compared to those with stable housing, and so this this is also a broader issue. You know, around around forty percent of transgender individuals um, commit suicide or attempt suicide. The the more correct term is uh, attempt suicide. And so, I mean, I mean, I mean, that is that is the cause of. I mean, research shows that that is the cause of bullying and harassment and the feeling of not being accepted. It, it, it is not an inherent issue with transgender people. It is people like Ron DeSantis and the Republican Party who cast these people out, you know, call them, call them freaks and, you know, pass laws to oppress them. I mean, that's the reason why. It, and research actually, research corroborates that. Research shows that a transgender person who is in a household where their parents accept them are much less likely to attempt suicide. Much less likely. That number goes from 40% to around maybe 4%, which is it is amazing. I mean, it, it it gives it gives me hope that we could eventually, you know, have a better world for all these marginalized people in the US because I mean, despite despite all the rhetoric by Ron DeSantis and the Republican Party, I mean, more people are becoming accepting of um, of transgender people and gay people as a group, which, which is great. And so, hopefully, hopefully, we can move past um, that and, and get a better future for the world. And something something I actually forgot to mention from the uh, Joe Biden bit, I actually was really you know shocked by something Biden said about veterans and. A statistic that he 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 cited that it, it used it used to be 24 veterans a day that would commit suicide, and he and that he, the fact that under his administration it it had dropped down to 17 uh, veterans a day who had committed suicide, which I I I thought was just sad. It's just a miserable fact about our country, you know. I mean, the 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 idea that if you go throughout your day, you know. Whether, whether you're having a good day or a bad day or just an okay day, whatever day you're going through, an average of 17 veterans had lost, had killed themselves during your entire day. And, and, and that is, that's crazy, you know? I mean, not, not to be depressing, I mean, but it's just, you know, we really, we really need to do something about veterans in this country. We treat veterans like second-class citizens in this country, and it's disgusting. We couldn't. Joe Biden. This is another good thing he did, but he could. He barely got um, a law passed that would provide medical care for veterans that were victims of toxic burn pits in Afghanistan. Republicans had originally voted against that until, you know, they got received pressure to pass that bill. But they Democrats almost um, had a bill slapped down by Republicans that would provide medical relief to veterans who were victims of toxic burn pits in Afghanistan. That is insane. We, we probably have more, I would, I would say that we probably have more veterans who, you know, kill themselves after after the fact of serving than, you know, soldiers who actually die in war, which is, I mean, it's insane. We, we really need to do something about um, that. We also really need to do something about me- mental health in general. Um, in the U.S., we're experiencing a mental health crisis, especially with um, the younger folks, uh, my generation, you know, uh, and what's going to be the next generation of people who are uh, a big part of social media, you know? Social media, we all we all use it. I mean, most of us use it. And 
it, it's bad for us, you know. With to take Instagram for example, if you if you scroll through an Instagram, a person's Instagram feed, you know, depending on who it is, you're gonna see that like they they appear to have a lot better of a life than they actually do. You know, people who post their vacation pictures or like you know they're with their family and their friends or at a party, uh, at the gym, whatever whatever it be. You know, people post their good moments on Instagram, obviously. But that leads to a lot of, you know, anxiety for a lot of for a lot of people. You know, they see people's posts on Instagram and they they compare it to themselves. And there's a lot of body issues that come too uh, for men and women. Um, you know, I mean, if a, if a if a girl goes through their Instagram feed and they see a model, you know, they're gonna compare it to themselves. And I mean, that's that's regardless, even if. Uh, if it's a you know just a natural picture of somebody or if it's a photoshopped image regardless i mean they're gonna i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of women right now who like their mental health is you know not as good as it could be um due to social media apps like instagram where it's easy to compare themselves to other women and maybe feel bad about themselves and the same thing with men you know men suffer the same thing if they see if they see a ripped guy uh, they see a gym video of like a super ripped guy or, you know, some guy posting a, a, a photo of himself, you know, being surrounded by 12, you know, attractive women, you know, they're going to they're going to compare themselves to that man. And they're going to they're going to, you know, think, you know, maybe what if I'm just a failure? You know, what if I'm weak? What if, you know, I'm not as good as I can be? You know, that affects a lot of people. And it's, you know, it, it has terrible consequences. So right now we have the. Um, rise of people like Andrew Tate and, and incels um, to pertain specifically to men, uh, men's mental health. Um, we have people like that who are who are coping mechanisms for a lot of men. You know, Andrew Tate resembles the, you know, what a lot of people envision when they think of a man, you know, a, a, like a macho, toxically masculine man, you know, rich, uh, is surrounded by a bunch of women, you know, uh, strong, smart, uh, seemingly apparently um etc the list goes down and so they a lot of people you know attach themselves to this man as sort of like a hero of self-improvement and you know standing up to men like seemingly against women you know setting up this false dichotomy of uh men against women even though a lot of men's uh, mental health is tied to women's issues or men. I shouldn't say men's mental health, just men's issues in general are have a relationship with women's issues. You know, a lot of male insecurity um, be, sometimes being expressed as a entitlement to sex. Um, I mean, it, it, it makes it makes the world more unsafe for women. Men's mental health uh, or men's issues have a tendency to I mean, make the make the world more uh, unsafe for women in terms of, you know, the threat of violence. And I mean, that's a big issue. And, you know, the cult also like probably the culture between, you know, men and women, you know, a lot of, a lot of men, uh, start to gain insecurities because of the society around them, whether it be, you know, um, due to performance with sex in relation to that, you know, I mean, Men, men get made fun of because of their dick size and immutable, like an, an immutable characteristic. And I, I think that's wrong. It, it, it serves no purpose but to bring a person down. And I mean, we, we need less of that in our society. We don't, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't tolerate such a thing, you know. And it's just sad that and, you know, 
other 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 things that like people get bullied for in general you know we we need we need we need less negativity and more positivity um in the u.s and abroad we just we need we need us we need a culture where we bring people up instead of you know trying to bring them down to um to, to you know try to mend one's insecurities and you know what's the word i'm looking for to you know make one feel better about themselves and so yeah what else what else what else what else and so yeah and so on the flip side of that on the flip side of the andrew tate types are you know incels you know people who people who just generally um hate women they're they consider themselves involuntary celibates they're just a bunch of depressed sad sacks who you know take their anger out in the world and you know you know what's it called relate themselves to the joker or you know patrick bateman those are like their their icons and so it's 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 just a it's it, it's a bunch of really weird responses to um male insecurity and the um a bunch of the issues that society faces in modern times and i i i think there needs to be something that needs to be done about it because you know these same people these these same people are the people who are shooting up schools and you know committing committing violence generally in the world and so and something has to be done some it, it it's it's unacceptable that we um have a society in which um in which these people exist you know and so yeah uh let's see so another another thing that uh ron DeSantis has done um he attacked the college board's uh pilot version of ap african-american studies and uh, what what was apparently the case was the college board had revised and purged a lot of the curriculum for ap african-american studies due to um Ron DeSantis in the state of Florida um, rejecting um, rejecting the course for its, its schools. Excuse me. And um, the College Board denies it. They say that the changes to the course were not about a political pressure, and that it had been decided prior to Ron DeSantis' attacks. And you know, people can take that how it will, but I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think the College Board should have made um, changes to. Um, to, to its course. I mean, Ron DeSantis, um, what's it called? It attacked it for citing readings on queer theory and reparations for slavery. And look, I mean, that stuff is, I mean, that that stuff sounds like things that, that would belong in an African-American studies course. I mean, they're, um, especially especially during the civil rights movement, there's, there's intersectionality. There were, you know, queer people fighting on behalf of civil rights. I mean, black queer people, you know, black women, you know, it, it, it's something it's something that is intersectional and is in relation to a proper understanding of African American studies in the US. And so, I mean, it's it's it, it it's just a way to try to whitewash American history. You know, people like Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump want you to think of um think of African American studies as, you know, hey, you know, America used to have slavery and that was wrong but we removed it and now now there's no racism racism uh has been banned uh the civil rights act of 1964 and the emancipation proclamation banned racism and so there's zero racism ever in the u.s now and everyone can go back home and stop crying that's that's what that's what that's what 
Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump want you to believe. But no, I mean, there's still problems in America in relations to race. Like systemic racism is real. Um, and that's the whole basis of critical race theory. Critical race theory simply in its most simplest form states that racism is not simply explicit racism, but that there are institutions in America that are systemically racist and provide and produce racist outcomes um, independent of any explicit racism. So, you, you know, to have systemic, to have systemic racism um, in the justice system, for example, you know, it, it doesn't need, it, there doesn't need to be explicit racism. It doesn't have to be uh, judges and prosecutors, you know, loving to say the N word uh, for there to be systemic racism. You know, it it produces racist outcomes due to the implicit biases um, that are associated with certain uh, races. I mean, for example, um, like we have certain implicit race, implicit biases against African-Americans, for example. You know, we we get fed stereotypes from birth pretty much that even even if we don't believe uh, it's it's still it's still in our brain and it factors into a lot of people's um thought processes and decision making, you know, if if you grow up in a society that tells you that black people are violent, for example, just just one stereotype. I mean, you know, even if you don't believe that, even if you believe that that is gross and racist and, you know, should not be tolerated in society, I mean, that stuff is um, I mean, you're, you're that's still going to be part of your implicit bias. You know, you're, you still you still might subconsciously factor that into your decision making and I mean that's that's borne out in um in in studies done on the justice system a white and black person that is committed that is found guilty of the same crime a black person will get a harsher sentence you know black and white people smoke weed at the same rate but black people are more likely to be arrested for it um just just examples off the top of my head that show that we we live in a in a society where um black people are given a presumption of guilt and not a presumption of innocence that everybody else uh enjoys in the u.s and so that is that's a big problem man i mean that's that's a huge uh issue that needs to be addressed um in the u.s and it, it it's terrible that, that you know there, there are people there are people in the U.S. that will simply just deny um, all of this. Yeah, they'll they'll think, oh, there's just no systemic racism and stuff. And I mean, it's it's, it's ridiculous. It's just, it's just silly. So yeah. But um, I mean, I'm reaching the end. I'm starting to reach the end of my time. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed. I mean, part of part of part of this was um, I'm, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna cut this uh, obviously because there's a lot of awkward pauses and stuff. I, I seriously need to edit this, but. You know, I hope you guys enjoyed the first episode. Um, hopefully, I start to get into the uh, gist of doing a podcast. I start to have better quality, you know, uh, better vocal inflection, inflection, stuff like that. And, um, you know, hope, hopefully I can get uh, guests on, too, so that this goes more, um, so that there's, there's more of like a fluid conversation and it's more entertaining for you guys. So um, hopefully you guys enjoyed the first episode. Um I'm going to try to get a lot more topics in for the next episode, and I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, I will see you guys in the next uh, in, in the next episode of the Progressive Hub, if that continues to stay, to stay at the name of the podcast. So, uh, goodbye.